So I'd like to welcome everyone to this episode of the Mindset Growth Podcast. My name is Ray Gage, and I will be your host today. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, wherever and whenever you're choosing to listen. We appreciate you. Some of you know me as a guest. This is my first time hosting the podcast. If you enjoy it, I'll do it again. If you don't enjoy it, I'll do it again. (laughs) Please, please try to enjoy it. So let's get started with welcoming our guest today, Lieutenant Colonel Oakland McCulloch, U.S. Army, retired. Oak, welcome and thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Yeah, well, I appreciate it, Ray. I appreciate you guys having me on. I've been looking forward to it. Amazing. Well, I'd like to start with saying, you know, I have a have a grandfather that served in the Marines in World War II in the South Pacific. I've always had a deep appreciation, respect, and love for everyone who puts themselves in the line of fire for our freedom on a daily basis. And with that, I want to say from the bottom of my heart, first of all, thank you so much for your service. Yeah, well, thank you. I, it was it was an honor to serve the people of this country. So let's start our podcast today. I'd like to talk a little bit about where you are now. I mean, we're going to go backwards, right, and try to get up to this point. But give us a little bit of an overview. I mean, you're retired from the Army. You had worked your way up to the rank of lieutenant colonel, which is fantastic for all of us that are familiar with the amount of time and effort that that had to have taken. But now that you're not doing that anymore, you, you've you transitioned over to your what you're doing currently, which is basically a international speaker, and you're also an author, correct? That is right. So I, I retired from the Army in 2009 after 23 years as a combat arms officer. And then I ran a food bank for a couple of years there in Mobile, Alabama, right along the Gulf Coast. Um, that covered 52 counties in three different states. It was a very large food bank. Um, And then I recruited for Army ROTC as a government service officer uh, since January 2011, and I just retired one October from that job. And so now I've written a book uh, on leadership. I go around and talk to uh, as many people as I can about what a good leader looks like and what they do. And I'm getting ready to write my second book on uh, how to be successful. Oh, that's awesome. So the title of your first book is, I believe, Your Leadership Legacy? Becoming the Leader You Were Meant to Be. Yeah. And it's about servant leadership. Servant leadership. Yeah. So I'd like to talk some more about that, but, but we'll save that for a little bit later. So what is a typical day in the life? of a retired lieutenant colonel who is an international speaker and author actually look like? Yeah. So uh, so I, I spend a lot of time trying to figure out, you know, who I'm going to speak for and, and get, get those uh, kind of engagements about who's looking for a speaker out there. Um, and like I told you before we got on here, I think this is my fifth uh, Zoom meeting today, uh, and I got another one after us. So um, I spent a lot of time doing that, just meeting people, and and a lot of times I try I try to meet as many people as I can. And some people 
it's not about a speaking engagement. They read my book or they saw me speak on a podcast or they saw me speak in person at an event and they just want to ask questions and, and get to know, know me a little bit better. And I'm always happy to do that. I mean, that's what, that's what leadership's about. It's about people and, and, you know, ha- building that trust with people so that, so that they, they have that trust to, to let you lead them. So I'm, I'm, I've always been, but even more so now, I think I've figured it out even better that it, it's about people and building that relationship. And then I, I'm starting to write some blogs and some articles that I'm, I'm going to put on social media here uh, in the next couple of weeks. And I, like I said, I'm starting to write my second book. Um, I'm going to title it Arm Yourself for Success. And it's going to be about things you you need to do if you want to be successful and i started off by saying there are no secrets to success you know i can and anybody who tells you there are is lying to you there i can tell you things that will help you be successful if you do them that make it possible for you to be successful but in the end there are no guarantees of success right right so there's a uh thing i i like to say that it's uh the answer to your question is within you, right? So, so your formula for success is literally is your formula for success, right? right? Not someone else's. You have, you have to define what success looks for you, looks like for you, because my definition of success is going to be completely different than yours, but you have to define it because if you don't, then how do you know what path to take to get there? So you, you have to define it. For yourself and then then you can come up with the plan and what you think based including some of the things that, that i talk about and other people talk about things that you should do to get there but you got to figure out that path they can't figure out for you and one, one of my favorite leaders that i have always looked up to and still the most impressive man i've ever met in person general colin powell said you know if you let other people defi- uh, make decisions for you then don't be disappointed when you don't get what you want. And, <laughs> and so you got to figure that out for yourself. Yeah, that's a great quote from a great man. So let's go back a little bit. So a lot of times our our listeners like to know more about your story. So, and and sometimes that requires us to go back, like way back, right? So let's go back to the beginning. So where... Were you born and raised? Give us a little bit of a feel for what that looked like and and what that uh, how that contributed to you moving on to the next stage of your life. Yeah, so I was born in a little town in in Tennessee called Loudon, Tennessee, just south of Knoxville, but didn't spend a whole lot of time there as a, as a young kid. My parents moved to northern Illinois about ninety miles northwest of Chicago, right up on the Illinois Wisconsin border small little farm town of 1200 people. Everybody knew everybody. Um, it, it was a great place to grow up. Yeah, I always use this example. I I was coming home one night. I was a teenager. I was coming home from basketball practice in the middle of winter time. And there was a house that was about three blocks from ours. And, uh, you know, being a teenager, getting in trouble, I put together a whole bunch of snowballs. <clears throat> and this house had an aluminum awning over the front of it and I'm just throwing ball, snowballs at that awning making all kinds of noise by the time I walked the three blocks to get home 
they'd already called my parents and my dad was waiting for me at the door. Um, <laughs> so I mean, that, with a big hug, we wanted to give you a big yeah, hug, right? Yeah, a big something. It wasn't a hug. <laughs> but that's the type, type of town I grew up in. It was a small farm town. I, I grew up working on farms most of my life. Uh, you know, I stuck my first job, I was 12 years old, bailing hay for a farmer, making a dollar an hour, dollar an hour. Um, so I, until I went into the army, that's really what I did was work on farms, all kinds of farms, pig farms, cattle farms, dairy farms. I think I was even worked a couple of days in a, on a chicken farm and a couple of days on a sheep farm. So it was really just, and then some of it just plowing and combining and doing the things that, that you have to do on a farm. Sure. Sure. And, and a lot of the, a lot of our listeners can relate to that from either uh, growing up in towns like that or actually yeah. working on farms and being raised on farms. So, so tell me a little bit about, you know, if you could identify, uh, we all have those, those people or those circumstances or the, or those, uh, events in our lives that happen that we look back at later as as things that shaped who we are today so if you had to pick like one of those things from that time in your life growing up in that town in northern illinois on the you know working on the farm and and being involved in all that what what would that thing be that you would choose as the one thing right i'm sure there's probably more than one but if you had to pick one what would you say it was what was that lesson so I, I think the the one of the defining things in, in my life, I, I was always the captain of my baseball, basketball, football teams, whatever, but I was a picked as a captain of my football team as a sophomore in, in high school, uh, played varsity all four years of, of all three sports. Um, but that year I was picked captain of my team and uh, and we had some issues going on. We had some problems with a couple of the players and and so I had to make coach allowed me to kind of address the team and and deal with those situations. And I, I think that was kind of one of those times that was the first time that I really realized the importance of being a leader and not only leading, being in charge, but helping to influence and develop the other people on the team and, and really to, understand that it is about a team. It wasn't about me as the leader. It wasn't about that person that was having problems. It was about the team coming together to deal with it and kind of rebuild that trust that you need to have on a team because that's what leadership is about is trust. Right, exactly. So now that's a great story. And so about how old were you when that happened? So you're probably in high school, maybe yeah, I was 16, 17 years old, 17 years old. Yeah. So it's uh, it's unusual. It's also amazing that uh, you were that age and you had that kind of an insight or that or maybe I should ask you that was, did you realize what was happening in the moment or did you recognize the importance or the greatness of that moment late more later? I, I think I realize the importance of the moment what was going on i didn't realize till later how important that was in my development as a leader and i think you know i I was lucky as a kid um my father taught me a bunch of things that helped me become the the person i am and the leader i am today but really i give a lot of credit to two people um outside my father i give credit to coach neswicki who was my basketball coach in high school who i still 
have kept in touch with. Um, and, and he, he was a, a servant leader. He understood it wasn't about him and it wasn't really about the basketball team. I mean, he, he wanted to win and we all wanted to win. and That's good. But he understood it was about creating young men who were better people. Um, and that it was obvious to me, certainly my senior, junior and senior year in high school. And as I moved on, that that's what he was doing. And so he had a big impact on my life. And then my high school history teacher, uh, Mr. Schindler, who I still stay in contact with. Um, and he, he was a Vietnam veteran. He understood, you know, he, he understood it wasn't just about teaching history. It was about, again, creating young men and women that were going to be productive mem members of society and, and uh, being successful. And so I, I think those two had a huge impact on my life growing up. And, and I've told both of them that since then. Right, right. So that that's uh, listening to you talk about that. And it's really interesting. I ask the question quite often of people uh, who they're, if they could model someone as a leader, who would that person be that they would model as a leader? And without almost without exception, people don't mention someone famous, right? Or somebody yeah. that everyone else has heard of. They They mention people like you know, my dad or my my grandpa or my coach or a teacher, just like you did. Right. So yeah. and, and to me, that's really interesting because of the perception that we have of leadership in our society. A lot of times we automatically default to you know, somebody famous, like you mentioned, Colin Powell, which would be a great person to want to model. Right. Right. Or you know, somebody from history like, you know, George Washington or Abraham Lincoln or something like that. But the reality is, is, is leadership is personal. And so we don't usually think of the person that we didn't know as someone that we would want to model because we just, we only know of them. We didn't, we don't know them. Right. Right. So, so that's really fantastic that, that, that was, those are your examples as well. But I, I would think that, I mean, talk about how you would, you look at that as, is that should be like an inspiration for people, right? I, I, I think so. And, and again, I think it goes back to, you have to understand what leaders, leadership is. And leadership is about people, plain and simple. It's not about flow charts, not about organizational charges, not even really about bottom line. Even if you're a businessman, I got it. You got to make some money. Um, but if you do leadership right, you're going to make money in the end. Um, 100%. Because it, it is about people. And a huge part of that is building the trust in that trust and community, building that team. Uh, you know, and go back to another famous person, a great quote. He's Vince Lombardi, uh, you know, another um, coach. And he said, a team isn't a group, group of people who play together. A team is a group of people who trust each other. And that that goes even beyond the sports field, that's any business because a business is a team and you got to, you got to build that teamwork. If you want it to be successful, you, you got to get past the I to we. And I, I, I see that's a problem right now in, in society and in our, in our culture that we've kind of forgotten that it isn't about you. It's yeah. about the team. 
Yeah, boy, we could probably turn this into a series. <laughs> Talk about that, right? Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately. unfortunately. Right. So, so what was the transition then? So you you were at the small town in in Illinois. Uh, you you gave the great example of the interaction with the coach and that and that first step that you identify in a leadership journey. So what was the next step then? You went from there to directly to college? Or yeah. So, that so, so I went to the United States Military Academy at West Point. I did not graduate from there, but I was there for two years, played ball there, and really got a good grounding in what leadership is all about as far as the, the foundation, integrity, character, uh, values, um, and left there. Um, my father owned a business, um, so I went home and helped him run his business for a little bit for about 18 months. And then I finished up in ROTC at Northern Illinois University, um, the Reserve Officer Training Corps, another way to get a commission in the Army. And that's where I met my wife, who was also in ROTC. She was an Army nurse for eight years. Okay. And um, so it all worked out for the best, at least for me. I'm not sure about her, but it worked out for the best for me. Um and, our next and, guest was good. <laughs> yeah. And, and so continued that route of learning what leadership is all about at being a servant leader. And and then I, I got I graduated, got my commission, and I went off into the army and had some great servant leaders as examples, both both people who I worked for, and I always make sure I include this, people that worked for me. I learned just as much from people who worked for me in some instances than I ever learned from somebody who was my boss. I will say, so I did have, uh, as a, as a kid, I grew, I, I grew up in upstate New York and I had the opportunity uh, as a teenager to visit the facility at West Point. And if, if you ever get a chance to just visit there, just the history and the scenery surrounding that place, right is really beautiful so in the in the summertime in the summer well and in the fall yeah not in the right. winter no no not in the winter i mean you've got to like cold you've got to like yeah. snow and you've got to not mind driving in it right yeah <laughs> there's a reason they call it castle grayskull yeah <laughs> i gotcha so so then the the transition to actually being in the army and starting your service there now, what did that look like? And then there had to have been some other lessons that you learned during that time period, right? Because they kind of stack on each other, I, I think, as you as you growing in your leadership journey. So talk a little bit about what what that looked like. Yeah. So one of the most important lessons I learned as a as a junior leader, as a young leader, started right from the very beginning. So I showed up at my first duty station, Fort Stewart, Georgia, and there were three lieutenants who showed up that day, me and two others. There was only one platoon leader spot. And so one was going to get a platoon and the other two were going to go work on a staff for a, a year or so before a platoon leader spot came open. And a platoon leader in the Army, you're in charge of 32 men, uh, infantry platoon. I had 32 men I was responsible for. And I got I got selected for whatever reason to be the platoon leader. So my company commander picked me up, took me out to my platoon, which was already out on a range. They were practicing all morning. They'd been practicing 
a, a live fire exercise uh, assaulting an objective. So uh, in the afternoon, what was going to happen was you had a team that was running across the objective and in front of them, bullets were landing three to five feet in front of them as you run across the objective. So they were practicing that all morning without bullets. So I show up right at lunchtime. My platoon sergeant, I still remember him like he was yesterday. And unfortunately, he died a few years ago. Um, but I kept in touch with him as well. And Sergeant First Class Pinson, he was six foot five, six foot six, 250 pound Mississippi boy. Um, he grabs me by the shoulder, says, come on over here. Let's have lunch, sir. So we grabbed an MRE, you know, the army bag, lunch in a bag. And we went over there and we sat down underneath the tree. And he said, listen to me, sir. He said, you are the platoon leader. You're in charge. He said, whatever you want to do, I'll make it happen. We'll do what you want to do. He said, but you know, I got to remember, I was 24 years old. He said, but I've been in the army for 23 years. So he'd been in the army almost as long as I'd been alive. He said, my job is to tell you when you're messing up. He said, if you still want to do it that way, we'll do it that way. He said, but my job's to kind of guide you along so you start making good good decisions. And and I listened to him. Um, we had our little discussion. And then at, right after that, he said, now you go sit and you watch the exercise. I said, no, I'm not going to watch the exercise. I said, I, my job as a platoon leader is to lead that assault. Your job is to make sure that the machine gun and the rifles are staying three feet in front of us. He said, but you don't know anybody here. I said, I know you and you were in charge of this platoon before me. So I trust you. So we're doing it that way. And, and we did. Um, and, you know, I, I always listened to him, always took that advice. And one day I walked into the office and I said, you know, Sergeant Pinson, this is what I want to do. And he looked at me and he said, is that really what you want to do? And I said, well, I thought it was, but maybe not. <laughs> and I give him a lot of credit for helping to me develop me into the leader that I became. Oh, that's really cool. That's a neat story. Yeah. So, so that's 24 years old. So, so what's next, right? So then what came next in, in that journey that you had with the, with the army? So I, I had a lot of great servant leaders who I worked for who kind of showed me what it means. And I had some that weren't servant leaders that also showed me what I didn't want to be. Because uh, let's face it, I mean, there's good leaders in every profession and there's bad leaders in every profession. And I've had my share in, in the Army. Um, I, I'll just uh, one quick story. Um, I was a senior first lieutenant. Um getting ready to make captain. And I, I'd already had my three platoons and I'd done some other stuff. And I was in a CAV unit, a CAV squadron, and I was working in the S3 shop who does the planning, writes the plans, uh, you know, to figure out what we're going to do. Everything we're going to do, we write a plan for. So everybody was on the same sheet of music. And that was my job was to write plans. And I had a, a major who was working for me who was one of those micromanaging authoritarian do things as I tell you to do. And he had a rule that if he was in the office, you had to be in the office. He wasn't married. He was in the office till six, seven, eight o'clock at night. And so, you know, here a bunch of young lieutenants are st sticking around just because he's in the office. And so you can imagine what the morale of that organization was. Oh yeah. He left. We got a brand new major in. And the very first day, I'm sitting there in the office, five o'clock, 
in the in the evening and I'm working on a an op order that isn't due for another three weeks. But I'm just, you know, busy work trying to get through the day. And he walks up and he sticks his head around the office, the door in the office. And he says, Oak, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm working on this op order. And he said, was it due tomorrow? And I said, no, sir. And he said, then go home. Hmm. Yeah. Morale went through the roof. Oh, uh, my goodness. Know. Yeah. I mean, because yeah, he understood it, it. It was about us. And, it, 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 you know, because that's what leadership is about. It's about the people you have the privilege to lead and making them better people. and. Just having us sit in the office till six o'clock at night isn't making up somebody better. Right, right. So and I know we talked about this a uh, few weeks back when we had our initial conversation and and introduced ourselves to each other, right? And uh, what we the conversation was around you know, leadership is not a position. And that's kind of a myth. A lot of people think of leadership as a position. And the fact is, is you either have a leader in the position or you don't so it's you it's a position of authority unless there's a leader there we want to thank gary bontrager consulting for being a sponsor on the mindset growth podcast there's a variety of services they offer they have human resources for one they have a sales program they also work with the financials whether you need to help set up your quickbooks or go with a high level person that can help you do benchmarking, budgeting, and the likewise. They also do a lot of leadership training, whether you are the business owner, manager, or are just leaders in departments. They can tailor those packages for you. Reach out to them for a free consult, and they will see what your needs are and offer different opportunities for you to put in motion to take your business to the next level. They have been successful over the past few years in helping organizations not only grow, but grow as much as two, three, and 400% in a 12-month period. Certainly, they understand it takes a strong foundation and there are years where there may be no growth leading up to this as they put the right pieces in place. Reach out to them at www.garybontrager.com you can reach out to them on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter and get the free advice that they offer. And that may be just what you need to set you on a different path to lead you forward and be successful in your business and your life. We appreciate them supporting us. You see the drill sergeant, right? And I, and there's a place for that, right? There's You have to have those right. in the Army and things like that. But that's, I think we get a lot of us get the impression that that's what every position of authority or leadership position yeah. in the army is like. And and so it's kind of a little bit of an eye-opener for me when we were talking to have you just kind of completely, almost completely debunk that, right? Yeah. So based on your experience. So talk, talk a little bit about how your experience, both as a leader and with leaders in the army, was completely different than the way that that perception is for most of us in the general public based on what we see in the on TV. Yeah. Well, again, there are there are leaders like that that are authoritarian micromanage. I, I had a boss who retired a three star general. And so obviously way smarter than me. Um, and he said, leadership is on a scale. And there's times when you got to be on either end of the scale, he said. But on this end of the scale over here, you got authoritarian micromanaging, do things exactly as I tell you to do. And you can 
equate that to maybe basic training. And, you know, when you're first bringing people into the army to get them on the, in the same culture, the same values, whatever he said. And then on this end of the scale over here, you have the Attila Hun and chaos controlled chaos, but chaos, he said, and you want to be as close to the chaos as you, you can get. He said the further down that road, you can get the better off. And he said, and this is why he said, because, that's where creativity happens. That's when you're using other people's skills, other people's abilities, other people's knowledge. If you're not to that point, then you're just using your own knowledge, skills, and ability, and you don't have all the answers, I promise you, no matter how long you've been doing whatever it is you're doing. He said, and when you do that, two things happen. He said, number one, you start to build trust because you have allowed people to do things the way they want to do it. Number two, he said, um, the, the way you get there is that you train them to a standard so you know they can accomplish what it is that you want done. You give them the resources that you that they need to get it done, money, time, people, whatever. He said you give them the authority to make it happen. You can never give away responsibility. That's yours as the leader. Your name's always the name on the blame line. But you can give away and should as much authority as as is needed for that person to do that job. And then you get out of their way. Would that person, will that person do it exactly the same way you would have done it? Absolutely not, but who cares? And the analogy I always use is seven plus two is nine, but so is six plus three and eight plus one and five plus four. Who cares how do you get to nine as long as you get to nine, but let them use their own skills, knowledge and abilities and their own creativity to come up with the solution that you're asking for. Well, that's a great example. I, I hadn't really thought of it that way before, and I'm going to use that if you don't mind. Oh, absolutely. But the, uh, the just that whole concept of uh, that the leader should give away authority, but never give away responsibility. And I think that's someplace that we see a failure in, in leadership or a disconnect. In, as a Especially person. today especially today, is that if they give away the authority, they don't want to take responsibility. And and that is a big problem, right? And, it is. But, but there's a huge distinction there that's really, again, I think we could probably just turn that into a whole series as well. But that's, uh, that's actually really profound and uh, hadn't thought of it that way before, but I but you see that in so many different instances, right? And uh, and we don't talk about you know politics and and religion and things like that from that perspective right. uh, on our podcast. I mean, we, we do around the Thanksgiving dinner table, but we we don't on the podcast. So, well, well, here, here's the thing, Ray, I, and I think you can pick any profession at any level. And, you know, government, military, religion, universities, businesses, whatever. And I think you can see that there are leaders out there who absolutely who, who just absolutely don't understand that they are responsible for everything that does or does not happen in their organization. You, right. The leader doesn't get to pick the good things that they want to take responsibility for and blame somebody else for the bad things. That, sorry, it doesn't work that way, at least not good leaders. You are responsible for everything that does or does not happen in your organization. And you have you have to own it. And if something goes wrong, then you have to say, okay, that's my fault. 
for whatever reason, either I didn't train somebody well enough or I didn't communicate well enough or whatever. Let's figure out what happened, figure out what we were supposed to do, figure out what happened and figure out how we get better at it. Because we're all going to make mistakes. Everybody's going to fail at something every once in a while. And that that although failure should never be accepted as the common thing that's going to happen, it is going to happen every once in a while. And when it does, we just got to figure out how, how to make sure it doesn't happen again and make people better at decision making and whatever it is that they're doing that caused that to happen. Right. So I like to say I like to challenge people with the idea that there's there's really no such thing as failure as as long Unless as you give you, up. Well, as long as you use it as an opportunity to learn how to do it differently the next time. If That's right. You, if you didn't get back up and use it as an opportunity to learn to get better the next time, then it is a failure. That's right. I but agree. That, but that was your choice. Yeah. Cause, cause we're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to make bad decisions. We're all, you know, and, and some, somebody said, so in, in the army, when you make a bad decision, what do you do? I said, you admit it. Yeah. And people what? are, willi- are you kidding? <laughs> people are willing to, they understand you're not perfect as long right. as you are willing to say, Hey, I, I made a mistake and this is how we're going to fix it. Absolutely. As it, long as you do that, then, then you, the trust is still there. In fact, the trust just grew. Right. And, and you got to have that trust if you want to lead people. Right. And, and vulnerability is a key to deepening trust for sure. So being able to admit that you made a mistake or that you could have done better especially yeah. in front of the people that you're leading, I think goes a long way for that trust. I, I agree about that. So, so that's really neat. So if, if you were to, well, well, let's take a little quick break here and just say uh, before we go deeper into some of this conversation on leadership, because it's a, it's a wonderful conversation to have. So tell me what, what do you do when you need to unplug? Yeah. And we all do. I, I tell young leaders all the time, you you gotta you gotta have something, an outlet to to re recharge your battery. So I think for me, for me personally, it's the three Fs: faith, family, and fishing. I I love to fish. So I was just out yesterday fishing for a little bit. Um, but you know, faith, whatever that whatever that is for you, you gotta have that faith. And you know, for me, I start every day exactly the same. I get up, I uh, listen to the daily mass, I read a chapter of the Bible, and I do my prayers. Um, And then family, which is the most important thing um, that you're going to be a part of, because long after you're done working, and nobody ever remembers you, you're going to have your family. Uh, So, so, you know, you got to take time to to do that. And and I understand, I mean, believe me, being an army officer, there were times where I didn't have the opportunity to be home for birthdays and anniversaries and holidays. So, you know, the thing that always used to kill me was when a four-star general would get up and talk about family life, work-life balance. And I said, yeah, that's how you made four stars. I got it. Right. (laughs) So, you know, you got to define what that means to you. And for me, it was always when I was home, when I did have the opportunity to do those things, that I never said no. I was always there. I did, tried to do that as much as possible because I knew there were going to be times when I couldn't do that, when I wouldn't be around and I didn't have that option. So, you know, faith and family and then 
some type of hobby. For me, it's fishing. For somebody else, it might be playing golf. It might be whatever your hobby is, but you need to have a hobby that allows you to just unplug. You know, when I'm out fishing, I can do one of two things. I can either think of a problem that's going on and how to solve it, or I can think about nothing and just fish. I mean, so it it's kind of my my time to do do what what I want to do. Right, right. So what irritates your wife the most about you? Uh, we are a lot alike. Um, we're okay. both very organized. We're both very, we're on time. For, in fact, we're always early. And that's probably the thing that may irritate her more than anything about me is I, I get there 10, 15 minutes, 20 minutes before the time. You know, we, we were going to one of my boss's house one time for a, a get together. It was just her and me and and uh, his him and his wife. And it, we had to go through a gated community. So I said, well, we got to make sure we get there early. So we, we were about 20 minutes early. And she said, we, we can't get there 20 minutes early. And, and I said, well, we'll just go in the gate. She said, you can't go in the gate because they'll call and tell them that we're there. And then what are we going to do? Sit on the side of the road. So <laughs> we pulled into a gas station, and just sat there for about 10 minutes. Um, so that we got there about five minutes before, cause I still got to be early. <laughs> so I, I think that might be one of the things that, that irritates her about me. Right. Right. So I, I like to tell people uh, if we have to, if, if we're meeting early, I'll say, you know, it's bright, bright and early, right. I'll be bright. You be early. There you go. So you just rather be both. Yeah, I I got to I got to be. There's too many years in the army of and 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 working on farms and all that where, where you had to be on time and and right. so and and she she is too. I'm just a little more than that. Yeah, just, you know, when I go to the airport to go to one of my speaking engagements, I I always get there 3 hours. I know you're supposed to be there 2 hours. I always get there 3 hours. I said I'd rather be sitting there reading a book or going through my social media or whatever, doing some work and not have to worry about if I'm going to get there on time. So I'm always early for everything. Sure. Sure. Gotcha. So, well, thanks for that little, uh, a little pause there, right? We'll talk about a couple of different things um, along the way. So I guess, you know, before we wrap up here in just a few minutes, I, I, I wanted to ask you, so if, if you could identify one thing that you feel like would be so a lot of us we, we we get to a certain point in our leadership journey and 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 it's helpful for us to remember that we didn't know what we know until we knew it. Right. So looking back at, to people who are at uh earlier stages in their journey, right? Stages that you have have gone through. If there was one thing that you would would say that should be their focus, that maybe something that you wish that you had learned earlier, that you had learned to focus on earlier in your leadership journey, what what would you identify as that one thing? So I, I think two things that okay that I, I always tell young young leaders. Number one, never ever ever turn down a chance to be a leader. If you get the opportunity to be the leader, be the leader, because we can sit here, we can do it, put some junior leader, some young aspiring leader in front of a thousand podcasts about leadership, bring in a thousand speakers to talk about leadership. 
And that's all important and they should be doing those things. But that's all knowledge and it doesn't mean anything until you actually get out there and lead. That's where you put all that stuff to practice and you figure out what works for you and what doesn't um, and what what type of leader you want to be. So never turn down a chance to be a leader. And I think that's important for young leaders. Number two is the thing that I probably, because I never had that problem. I always want to be the leader. Okay. I understand when I'm in my house here, I understand I'm not the leader. I got it. But, <laughs> but when I leave the house, I want to be the leader. Um, there's a reason I've been happily married for 37 years. Um, <laughs> the one thing that I had to learn probably more than anything else was listening skills. And I think a lot of people, not just leaders, but most people in America today, probably the world, but certainly in America, we don't do a good job listening. We only listen enough so that we understand what we want to say back. Um, to truly listen to people takes a conscious effort to stop what you, you're thinking about and listen to what they're actually saying and then come up with what you want to say. And the problem with that and what makes people uncomfortable about that is that that usually means there's a small little pause there. If you're not thinking about what you want to say while they're talking, then you may have to pause for just a minute when they're done, kind of digest what it was they said, and then come back with what, figure out what you want to say in return. But I think listening is probably one of the skills that many young leaders don't do well today and will do, will help you become a better leader um, and that you need to get better at it. I like to, to the, the best thing that I heard was if you can learn to listen as if you were a camera. Right. So you're just listening. You're not yeah, yeah. listening to respond. You're not listening to affirm. You're not listening to negate. You're just listening. And because then the other thing that that does is it require there, that requires you to be fully present. That's right. Which is also another fallacy that leaders have is, is not being present. Right. We're distracted. So right. if since leadership is about people, it's about relationships. So if you're if you want to get better at leadership, you have to get better at relationships. And what better way to get better at relationships than listening? That's and, right. I agree. Yeah. So that requires you listening requires you to do things that that are also required of 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 effective leaders, which would which is to be more present for one thing. Right. And another one of those is clarity. And it's easier for you to be able to 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 be clear in what you're communicating if you're actually listening to the the people around you than knowing what it is you need to communicate. So yeah. identifying that that listening as as one skill, I think that's huge. So that's that's an awesome share. Uh, so you you get to be a guest on a lot of podcasts, and you speak. Uh, internationally, right? I think you just uh, a couple of weeks ago you were in London. Yeah, I was in London for a, for a week and spoke uh, three three different times in London. Right. So, and I'm guessing that probably when you do those, there's probably Q and A and things like that that you know people will get to ask you questions. So, I'm going to ask you a question. So, is there a question that nobody asks you that you wish they would? And if there is no question like that, then what's your favorite question to answer? 
Yeah. So I, I, I get asked a lot, um, what is the number one thing that a leader must quality, whatever that a leader must possess. And to me, it's integrity. I mean, it all starts there um, because you won't trust somebody that doesn't have integrity. So, you know, I, I tell people that that's the number one thing. And my father, when I was growing up, used to tell me, if you say one thing and you do another, it is your actions that will be believed. So, you know, you got to have the integrity and you got to follow through on it. You got to set the example because the one time you don't, because they're watching you all the time, the one time you don't, then the integrity has gone. Yeah, 100%, right? If there's a difference in what you say and what you do, people will do what you do before they do what you say. Yep. And you shouldn't get mad at them for that. That's right. It's your fault. <laughs> it's your fault. So... Yeah, great stuff. Great stuff. So, hey, anything before we close that you would like to add? Um, I, I do want you to talk a little bit really quickly about how people can find you if they want to reach out to communicate with you as far as your book or speaking engagements or just to engage with you on different social media platforms. Like I know uh, we connected through LinkedIn. Right. Uh, so, I mean, uh, so talk about that. You know, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you if they're interested? So um, I, I'm, I'm on all the social media, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, or X, um, Facebook. Uh, but I have a website, uh, www.ltcoakmacullough.com. And on there, it has my cell phone number. It has my email address. It has a link to all my social media. There's a, a so if, if you're thinking about, if you think you might want to have me come talk to your organization, um, then just give me a call or send me an email. We can start that conversation of what that looks like. Um, and my book uh, is available on Amazon. There's a link on my website that'll take you straight there. And it's available in hardcover, paperback, ebook, and audio. I And I did the reading on the audio book. The only other voice on there is my wife. She did the forward and because she wrote that. And she talks about about the author everything else i've read um okay and um uh, and we just love to you know i i try to never turn down a chance to to talk to people about leadership because it is so important and especially young people i love to talk to young people about leadership but if you're interested in having me come then or if you want me on your podcast or whatever then just contact me and we'll start figuring it out from there Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us again today, Oak. We really appreciate your insight. And again, uh, your service to our country is very appreciated. And I uh, look forward to hopefully uh, seeing you again really soon. And uh, uh, follow us, uh, my, a Mindset Growth Podcast, on your favorite podcast platforms. And thanks again for joining us for this episode. Thanks, Ray.